Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is the first ever Champaign County executive, Darlene Kleppel. Good afternoon, Darlene. Hi. On election night, you never lost your lead as election returns were reported. You won with nearly 53% of the vote. You said you weren't surprised to win. The job was essentially designed for your opponent, Gordy Holton. Why were you so confident you'd be victorious? Oh my. Well, I just happened to work very hard, which I was part of it. I think that I actually know more segments of the community maybe than I was given credit for. I just did a lot of things behind the scenes when I worked at the Regional Planning Commission or other jobs that I've had in past. I've always worked behind the scenes. And so I'm not always out in the front and people don't always know everything that I do. So I think that was part of it. I had a great team, which I was actually, I was very pleased with my volunteer team and with all the party uh, volunteers as well. We all helped each other, which was nice. Um, And so for all of those reasons, I think that it was successful. I don't want to look back much. I just have one more question about the election. The Farm Bureau and Chamber of Commerce endorsed Gordy. They hosted a series of town hall meetings with him, but you didn't have any through them. They gave him campaign money. Now, how do you work in a nonpartisan way with them? Well, I will say that both of them reached out to me the first week after I was elected to say they would, you know, certainly were be willing to work with me and were happy to get on the agenda as far as we can find things that we can cooperate on and coordinate on. I think um, I've always said when when I was running and now in this campaign and now having the office, the keys to the office are the same for whoever has the job. So key things for the county, which I haven't heard anybody disagree with, are financial stability and economic development. Uh, people want to live a good life. They want to have a good job. They want to have good leisure activities for their family if they live here. And I think that whoever holds the job is obligated to try to provide those things through a public venue, which the county is. So I don't think the tasks of the job are so much different. I think how people go about doing those tasks are very different. And I think what people prioritize might be different. Illinois has a Democratic governor and a legislature. Here in Champaign County, we're less blue. How do you do your job with the diverse opinions and needs of the urban versus the rural parts of the county? Well, I was elected to represent the whole county, and I made that a big part of my campaign going out. I really campaigned all parts of the county. I talked with people in all parts of the county. I think I get along pretty well with most people. A good portion of my family is Republican. I happen to be a Democrat. So I think that I've been having those conversations somewhat in my life for my whole life. I can see a business viewpoint, and I'm also a social worker. So I think I have kind of different perspectives that I've brought to the job. I've done many different kinds of jobs, and I need to be accountable in those jobs. I also need to be able to be forward-thinking and visionary. And so I think I can bring both of those things to the job. And that's that's one of the reasons I think um, this job will be so exciting is that it has all of those components. It's a very it's a varied position. There's a lot of different things that the county executive does and will do. Nobody will be perfect at all of those things, but it's nice to have different skills to bring to the table. I'm so glad you brought up your pedigree. So bear with me because it's a paragraph. You have a BS in social work, sociology, and psychology, a master's in social work, master's in architecture and city planning, You were a clinical social worker in hospice care, a planning consultant to prison and rehabilitation facilities, an outreach coordinator. You were community services director at the Champaign County Regional Planning Commission. Would you say that so many years of taking care of other humans is what resonated with the voters as you canvassed? And if not, then what was? Well, I'm hoping that voters resonated with the fact that I'm actually listening to them. Um, I did speak one-on-one with 
over five or 6,000 people. I, I mean, I went door to door. I did all of my own canvassing along with my volunteers and the volunteers of the party. I had town hall meetings. I, you know, I try to speak with people one-on-one. I actually do better in small groups than one-on-one than I would with a large group of people. So that's just my preferred way of dealing with people. And I try to do well at that. Um, I think you get more information that way as well. So I specifically do try to reach out and I will continue to do as a county executive, try to reach out to different segments of the population. I'm not always comfortable in certain environments, just like most people are not, because I'm not as familiar with them or maybe don't frequent them as often. So um, I will try to reach out specifically places where I might not be in my comfort zone because I do think those people have perspective as well that I need to be aware of and pay attention to. And that's what you heard along the campaign trail. Many people that I, that I spoke to said, I'm surprised to see you out here. We don't necessarily agree with the viewpoint or your party or whatever, but I'm really glad that you came out to talk to us and I think I can talk to you. And I just kept going. I mean, I think that's the message that I want to give people is that the county executive is accessible and representing them. Only two counties have this position in Illinois and many people don't understand why we need this position, but thanks to democracy, the voters approved it. Now that you've been in the job for more than a month, do you see your role as advisory or oversight or both? It's really both. Um, I've been very fortunate in that I've had 15 years at the county as a a director of an organization, a part of an organization. And so things that um, other folks that are new might have trouble with, I already know about, which is allowing me to be sort of a mentor or a guider or advisor to different people, some of the new county board members, for example. Um, On the other hand, this is a new position for me, and so I'm needing to learn things as I go as well. I do think that the executive provides some direction for the county and can help guide a process. One of my big goals is to get a strategic plan for the county that's approved not only by the board, but that the public can buy into in in a way that they can get behind, which sometimes is difficult with such a diverse county population. But I also know that being an advisor is one thing and being a leader is one thing, but also you need to be a good listener. You have had to appoint a few people to new roles and fill a few vacancies. Have you had to hire more than just someone to do HR? No, I've not. Um, I have kept my existing existing staff. People may not be aware that the county executive um, now is responsible for the day-to-day activities of the county. And so I have a staff of about 45 that report to me. That includes the county highway department, facilities department, the IT department, and then other things that you might think of as administration, like finance or the secretaries or the front desk person. All of those folks do a great job. Um, I actually knew a lot of them because I had worked at the county before. Um, so it was sort of like a reunion coming back. But I think they're doing a pretty good job. So I, didn't, I wasn't looking to necessarily change anything or reorganize things right off the bat. One of the people that reported to me um, had planned to retire in December, which she now has. And so I took advantage of that, as I always will when someone leaves, to try to look at things, reorganize, restructure, see if there's ways we can switch things. And one of the things that I've heard and believe that the county needs is a little more input with human resource questions, issues, policies, those kinds of things, training. Um, And so I took advantage of the fact that she was retiring to hire a person into a position that would do more of those things. Her position duties have been split up among that person that I'm hiring plus a couple of other people. So it's it's sort of a job trade, but it's just a reorganizing. I have not increased the budget. I haven't added positions or anything. I've switched one position for another position is how I'm looking at it. Budgeting is one of your major goals. You've said your top priority is to develop a six-year strategic plan. You want to consolidate the current annual operations goals, the facilities conditions, IT roadmap, five-year revenue projections. 
Are the jail and the nursing home first and foremost? Is there something else at the top of your priority list? Well, at the current time, um, all of those things, we, the county has all of those documents. They're just not, con- they're not combined into one vision. And so there is, a, there is a strategic plan of sorts. There is a to-do list of sorts. There's a financial forecast for five years. But they're not combined necessarily into one vision of where the county's going. And so often when decisions are made, things are made either on a crisis basis or on a here's what we want to do that we're going to pick this one thing this year basis. And I think we need to have a plan out further six years past everybody's terms so that we have a, something to go toward. And also that we need to combine all of those things, including revenue, which people don't talk about very much, into one single plan of where we're going and some goals that we can develop as a group and that people can get behind. Because I think one of the things that will be coming up is the jail. The issue previously, which has not been totally resolved, is the nursing home. These are these are big things. These are not small projects. And they can take up a lot of time and energy and effort and money. And I think we need to focus on where we're trying to get in the long term and then work our short-term goals toward that direction. And I know that you've said transparency, transparency, that you want the public to be able to access this type of information. Is that something that you plan once you get the long-term plan up and running that you will put on a website or you'll put in a central location that the public can see it? Yes. And all of these other documents are on our public website at this time. They're just in different places. But yes, I actually have started a county executive website page and I've posted a couple of things there. I also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account at this point to communicate with people. And I'm hoping that uh, people will go those places and look for information that's happening that my office is coordinating. A couple of things that I've done so far are to put up a little bit of a, a reorganization chart because the county executive office does reorganize how the county offices are set up. So I've done that. Another thing is to make an, an orientation for the county board members, which they've had in past, but some of them were outdated. So I took all of that information, updated it to the county executive form of government, and provided it to all the county board members. All those things now will be put on the website so that other people can see them as well. But also, I think I hope that people learn more about the process of how decisions are made, because a lot of decisions happen at committee level before it ever gets to the county board, and then people come to the county board to express their input, and by that time the decision's pretty much made because the committee's already discussed it at length or whatever. So I'm hoping people start going to committee meetings or other kinds of task forces or town hall meetings, other ways of getting input. And I'm hoping to continue that. I hope to make things transparent about how people are doing things. One of the issues particularly that's come up has been how the county executive will veto because that's a new thing. The county board didn't have a veto before and now they do with the county executive. Um, I'm hoping not to use that very often. I'm hoping to build consensus before that happens. If the veto would need to be used, then what I'm trying to do, and actually did this week, but I haven't distributed it yet, is give information to both the board and the other officials in the county about what kinds of things I would look at to veto. Because I think they need to know up front what I would be considering if I were going to consider doing a veto, I would. I'm going to give that to them up front. I don't see. I don't see a point in being hidden about that. Have you talked to or tapped into the resource of the Will County Executive to figure out how often they veto or what kind of things they veto? I have, and the county executive up there has not had to use the veto. They've had an executive for almost 20 years, and they have used the veto I think three times. Um, and the reason is because I I believe, and he has told me that if the if there is an opposition. Um, that is fairly significant to a, an agenda item, a motion, a resolution, that 
if the county executive vetoes it, then they don't have enough votes for an override. And so they try to make a consensus agreement ahead of time. And I think that's a good strategy. One of the things I'll be looking for with the county board in particular is if they veto something, was there a, a close vote? Because our board is fairly split. And if it's a close vote, I'm thinking that there could probably have been more work toward driving a consensus of some kind, that there could be um, some way of trying to achieve at least partial agreement in terms of getting more buy-in to whatever they're trying to do. You mentioned the other executive is a male, so you really are pioneering as a female in this role. Does it annoy you that no one ever discusses the age and gender of, say, John Boehner or Mitch McConnell, but Nancy Pelosi's age comes up and people talk about gender? Does that ever annoy you or is that just me? No, people do mention it occasionally. I think that our county is a little more progressive in that way, in that we have other women in political positions that are the leaders, mayors, city council people, city, all those kind of people. So I don't know that that's a huge issue in our county in particular. I do get the comment occasionally. Um, I know when people are talking about the county executive, sometimes they use the word he, and we've had to make that a he or she. You know, once in a while, um, age comes up or gender comes up. It It hasn't been a big problem, so I haven't worried about it too much. Your son, Chris Kleppel, is president of the Unit 4 School Board. Do people try to give you opinions and advice to pass along to Chris? They do. <laughs> and they may be giving him advice to pass along to me as well. So that's, a, that's one of the uh, dilemmas you face when two people are in a political office. But um, actually, he minds his own business most of the time, and I, I try to do that as well. I'm not in charge of the school board, and he won't be in charge of the county. And so we do have conversations periodically about issues, but... We're not trying to manage each other's business. Do you take criticism of his decisions personally, or are you able to separate that? Oh, no, I can separate that. I can separate that. You retired three years ago, but continued to consult, and your new schedule is so much more than a nine-to-five job. You're heading off somewhere after this. You have, of course, evening meetings. What will you miss most about your slower schedule? Oh, my favorite thing to do in the morning was to get up and read the newspaper with a cup of coffee, actually a cup of hot chocolate. Usually I don't drink coffee. And to just have a leisurely morning hot chocolate or breakfast and read the newspaper. And when I read the newspaper, I try to go through it and pick out all the things. But the most fun thing I like to do is spend an hour working on all the puzzles. I'm a puzzle person. And so that I miss doing that in the morning just as the start of my day. And your grandchildren, I mean, do you still, you have to carve out time? They're here, they're local? I do carve out time. Actually, they have as much trouble carving out time because they are very busy people as well. And so we both have to carve out time now. And one of the things I learned about you from a mutual friend is that you also are a master gardener. Is that something that you were part of the garden walk a few years ago? I was part of the garden walk. My garden was on the walk, but officially I must say I am not an official certified master gardener. The gardeners choose gardens. They don't. You don't always have to be a gardener yourself to be able to have your garden chosen. I have gardened for many, many, many years, and I would love to take the class at some point in time. So far I haven't found the time to do that, but my garden was on the walk in 2014. All right, let's talk about some of your early jobs. And obviously as a hospice worker, a social worker, death doesn't scare you and you're unfazed by this. Tell me about some of your jobs. The first job I had was working for a hospice program that, this was after graduation, of course, after my master's degree. So I was working for a hospice program that was one of the first three pilot programs in the United States to try to establish whether or not Medicare would pay for hospice. And I worked for the one that was nursing home-based, there was one that was hospital-based, and there was one that was home health-based. And they were doing all different kinds of things to see what would work, 
what was cost-effective, what was actually helping people's pain. And so I did that for a year. When I left that job, I went to work for a funeral home. It was a funeral home that did about 600 funerals a year, so fairly large. And they were inside of a cemetery, also owned the cemetery. So they also served people in that way. And they were wanting to do an additional service that would add value to their business. And they decided to offer support groups as one way to do that. And so they hired me to start those programs. And so I I developed follow-up services for people after the funeral. And in the process of doing that, I became familiar with the funeral services, which I had not been exposed to in my life before. And um, it became a partnership between myself and the funeral directors. And so I would do training and support with the funeral directors as far as how to work with families that were having a difficult time with the death, how to talk to children, what kinds of things they could do to make it easier for people to make decisions when the family was in conflict, those kind of things. They, they were taught me more about funeral service in terms of at one point I was helping because when you work at a funeral home, everybody helps. I was driving the hearse. I was helping... Um, somebody has to stand by the grave site when the grave is open to be sure that it's safe and secure. Nobody's throwing anything in it or getting into it or whatever. And so I would be the person standing by the hole in the ground until the funeral procession arrived. Just all kinds of things you learn about that you never thought you would need to know. <laughs> You're so matter of fact about it. If death and dying doesn't phase you, then the county won't. I don't think death and dying doesn't phase me. Obviously, I've, I've come to accept the fact that everyone will die. I am a religious person, so I think that I know where I'm going when I die. And so I just, I'm not anxious for the dying process. I can put it that way. I don't think the dying process itself is usually very fun, but death itself, I guess, doesn't scare me that much. Where in your career was that? Before or after Georgia Tech? What point before you became a full-time social worker did you do this? Well, my very first sort of sticking my neck out kind of proposal to someone about developing a new thing was when I was getting my first graduate degree as a social worker, and I needed to do a project, um, or in some cases it would be a thesis, in my case it was a project, Um, and I offered to teach a course on death and bereavement to undergraduate students at a small college. And I was at that time the residence hall director for the small college, and they were doing interdisciplinary seminars. And so they agreed, after I submitted my proposal, to teach this class on death and bereavement. I was 23 years old. I knew nothing about death and bereavement. I'd never had anyone in my family close to me that had died. But I was bringing in speakers to the class. So I brought in a funeral director, a nurse, etc., clergy person, to talk about death and bereavement. And it was kind of interesting because when the person would come to speak to the class, I would be leading the class. And in the course of introductions, they would realize that I wasn't a student, that I was the teacher of the class <laughs> because I was only 23 at the time. But it led to some interesting conversations. And so that's how I got exposed, basically, to dealing with topics of death and bereavement. And at that time was reading things that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote and some other of the, the people that were in the sort of forefront of hospice care in the United States. And that's how I got interested in hospice. And so when I graduated with my degree in social work, I went to work for a hospice in Tucson. Is that why I hear you talk about the county nursing home a lot? Because it's you've seen people, you've visited people, you've been with people in that kind of situation a lot? I have. And actually, when I was in Atlanta many years later, I was helping to start a program at a hospice in Atlanta that was based at a nursing home. And um, they hired me to help them get started. 
And so I was actually in the nursing home developing one of the wings to be a hospice. And then I started again another hospice in the south part of Atlanta that was that was an independent hospice that was built by an organization that did senior living options and had senior housing. And they wanted to build a hospice. It was a church-based organization. And so they wanted to start and did build an eight-bed hospice as part of their continuum of care. Now, you don't drink coffee. I've never heard you say a swear word. And I've never seen you phased by anything. Please tell me you have a vice. I do have a vice. And my vice is chocolate. I don't need to drink coffee because I get my caffeine from hot chocolate. Okay, hot chocolate. But do you have handfuls of oh, like yes. M&Ms throughout the day? Not M&Ms. They, I, for, I don't like nuts in my chocolate. I like chocolate cream or just plain chocolate. So I will eat all kinds of chocolate, but not with things in them. And uh, milk dark or white? Milk dark or white. Any, any form of chocolate itself I will eat, yes. I'm relieved that you have one thing that the rest of us can say, okay, she's not perfect. No, no, I have a vice, definitely. <laughs> Before I let you go, your current job seems to have combined everything you've ever done leading up to this. Would you say that this is the most challenging role you've ever had or because you've had all of the other jobs with hospice and regional commission, would you say that this job is where you're meant to be right now? I think this job is where I'm meant to be now. And I know that when I was running for office, some folks said that my the job was made for my opponent. And I think I would care to disagree with that. I think this job was made for me. And how many people would you say have already asked you if you would just stay in this job as long as you want? Or you think you'll run for re-election or you're a oh month in Oh my goodness, it's way too early. <laughs> it's way too early to tell. Although one person did offer me a contribution uh, and said, here, if you're willing to stay in the, in the job, I'll make a contribution now. And I'm, uh, unfortunately, I've closed my campaign um, account, so I wasn't able to take this, the contribution. But I have not thought that far ahead. I do not ha- I'm, I'm not a career politician. I'm interested in doing the job well while I have it. And at some point, I may decide that I feel like I can have more to contribute and will go for it again. But at this point in time, I'm just trying to get it started and make it run well. I'm so excited you're here, and I'm so excited you're in charge of this county. Darlene Kleppel, Champaign County Executive, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome, and thanks for having me.